Hello. How are we? Welcome. Welcome. Welcome, 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 welcome. It's plug time, ladies and gentlemen. So, before we get into the intro and this lovely episode of the Making Lemonade podcast, we need to begin by doing the plugs. A little bit of house housekeeping. And there's always housekeeping in every house you live in, and this house is not much different. So, convention dates. I have three more conventions this year. That's where I'm going to begin. Actually, no, let's begin with something else. Let's begin with something new. Something new is my merchandise website. Yes, merch, merch, merch. Buy that merch. Buy that merch. So, my merchandise website has just launched, and that website is, excuse me, that website is tpublic.com, tpublic.com. Now, tpublic is not unlike Redbubble, and I have cancelled my Redbubble site because of reasons unknown. No, I've just cancelled my Redbubble because TeePublic's better. Um, I am using TeePublic.com. So if you search Jordan Morpeth Art on TeePublic.com, you can not only get my designs on t-shirts, you can get them on long sleeve shirts, you can get them on hoodies, you can even get them on baby onesies. You can go and get yourself some tapestries, you can go and get yourself some mugs, some phone cases. Um, what else they got on there? I think that's it. No, they got tote bags as well, um, all that kind of <clears throat> great stuff. So if there's all those um, artworks that I do, they will be going up there and they're specific to Tee Public. That's the only place you can get them. And the best part is they are often 30% off. The t-shirts, $14, $15. Long sleeve shirt, $15. T-shirt, $14. They're always on sale. They've always got a sale on. Tee, the best part about Tee Public is they're almost never on retail price. So go to TeePublic, type in Jordan Morpeth Art. If you're not sure how to spell Morpeth, it's on the cover art of this podcast right now. It's probably also in the description. Um, I'll put that website up in the show notes for this week. Second of all, convention dates. The next convention coming up is the biggest, the grandest, the greatest, the biggest thing in Sydney of all the year. And that's Supernova Sydney. Supernova Sydney. Woo, woo, woo. Beep, 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 beep. That is the Geeks Weekend, everybody. Supernova Sydney is coming up in June. Friday the 15th of June to Sunday the 17th of June. Get your tickets. Go and see some, some celebrities. Come and buy some art. Come and buy some stickers. I got some new stickers this year. I got my Goku. I've got my Vegeta. I've got my Deadpool stickers. And I've also got the Jordan Morpeth Art Serenade Feather Logo stickers. And I will have a few more stickers coming soon. Possibly, perhaps, maybe, maybe not. Let's see how we go. But I'll be selling art prints. We've got, um, we've got some freebies as well. We've definitely got some freebies. Are we giving away some freebie art prints for everyone who buys some art prints? Buy one, you get one. Buy two, you get one free. Buy three, you get two free. So that's what we're going to be doing at Supernova. I've just decided that now and I've just realized that I can't go back on that now. 
that I've put it on the record. That's okay. That's what we're going to do. But the prices will vary over the weekend. No, they won't. I'm just kidding. I'm joking. Ignore the man behind the curtain. So that's Supernova Sydney, everybody. If you want to see me this year, please come to Supernova Sydney. If you're listening to this podcast, you're probably already going to Supernova Sydney. So just go to Supernova Sydney, guys. Um, That'll be 15th. Uh, What was that again? Sorry. Mr. iPad. Ah, Friday the 15th of June till Sunday the 17th of June. I'll be there all weekend at Sydney Olympic Park. Next convention I'm doing this year is GammaCon Canberra in Canberra. I'll be in the great state of Canberra. So if you're in Canberra or if you're just traveling down to Canberra that weekend, that'll be the Saturday the 4th of August to Sunday the 5th of August. So come and see me. Come and see Will Lehman. Come and see all the great artists there and the great comic book writers of our lovely country and states. Um, and finally, the last one I'm doing this year is Oz Comic Con Sydney. Yes, Oz Comic Con Sydney is on the Saturday, the 29th, September the 29th, to Sunday the 30th of September. Now, by then I'll probably have a baby, so I'll be the guy with the baby and the red-headed girlfriend. Yeah, won't be hard to miss. Probably be the only guy there with a baby. Well, at least at the stalls. And that is... Oh, sorry. GammaCon is an exhibition park. Look that up online. Um, Oz Comic Con, however, is at the International Convention Center in Sydney. Again, Artist Alley. Excuse me. I need to take a sip of this beer. Now, um, finally, 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 the last final plug. Um, No, sorry, I lie. Second last final plug. The last plug, second last final plug, is uh, my mailing list. So if you want to be a part of my mailing list, you will get exclusives. Exclusives on all podcasts. My mailing list gets everything first. Um, You guys get exclusives on when I bring out a new print. You get exclusives on when I'm selling said new prints. You get exclusives on all my new merchandise. You get exclusives on... Excuse me, that's disgusting. Um, In your earlobes. You get exclusives on all my new merchandise. You get exclusives on all the new podcasts. Every time a new episode of the podcast comes up, you get the first link. You get the first notification on that mailing list. So go to jordanmorpethart.com. That's jordanmorpethart.com. And as soon as you go on that homepage, there will be a pop-up. Don't get rid of the pop-up. Because the pop-up is where you sign up for the mailing list. And if you're coming to see me at a convention, you can also sign up on the board. There will be a clipboard that will allow you to sign up for the mailing list as well. So don't miss out on that. That is the mailing list, ladies and gentlemen. And that's where you get all the Jordan Morpeth Art exclusives. And finally, if you'd like to follow me on social media, please go to Instagram. Go to YouTube. Um, go to... Where else can you go to? Facebook. And type in Jordan Morpeth Art and you will find me. I'm also on Twitter. If you'd like to follow me on Twitter, it's really much of a muchness. But if you'd like to follow me on Twitter, follow me on Twitter. And that's the plugs for this week, guys. Let's get into the intro. Future Jordan, take it away.
Hey everybody, so if you know me, you know one thing, and that is that I'm a gigantic Star Wars fan. Um, let me just have a real quick drink. And I had a fun little idea for this podcast here. Um, I want to do another episode. I've been wanting to do this for a while because I've been meaning to look into the Easter eggs. Yes, the Easter eggs in Han Solo. So I'm going to put a spoiler alert here. If you haven't seen Han Solo yet and you're a Star Wars fan, what the fuck are you doing? Go and see the movie first. But if you have, I'm going to go through the Easter eggs here. I've just found an article on SlashFilm.com and I'm going to go through some of those Easter eggs that they've got. All right, let's get into it. Let's not fuck around. Starting with number one. Number one is the golden dice. Now, Han Solo's golden dice did originally appear in A New Hope. However, however, that was just a throwaway thing. It was just a little prop that they put up there. I don't know the specifics on these dice because I actually never really noticed them. But what actually happened was they ended up playing a larger part um, as of The Last Jedi. And they became they started to become a like a symbol, a symbol for Han Solo. After spoilers, if you haven't seen Force Awakens, you probably know by now. I suppose this is like spoiling Darth Vader being Luke's father. But spoilers, Han Solo dies in The Force Awakens. So there is a residual leftover for the characters um, by the time we get to The Last Jedi. And this is held together. And let's talk about the residual. I want to just quickly talk about the residual because the residual leftover is... For Rey, for Chewbacca, for R2-D2, for C-3PO, for Luke, Leia, Finn, um, not so much Poe, but particularly Kylo Ren, or also known as Ben Solo. Now, there's some really interesting stuff, and I'm pretty sure there's a deleted scene in The Force Awakens where Kylo Ren goes and touches the die um, in the Millennium Falcon. There's definitely a deleted scene for The Force Awakens where Kylo Ren goes and uh, goes into the Millennium Falcon, which I kind of wish would have been in the original movie because that was a really cool bit because obviously he's been in the Millennium Falcon before, so that make that makes so much sense that he would have gone back to it and would have had some sort of connection with it. Anyways, um, now what does it say here? With the dice becoming a symbol of love, legacy, and memory between Luke, Leia, and Han, and eventually Ben... Um, Solo establishes the fact that the Karelian dice have always been important to Han and in his use signified luck. So these dice are actually an item of luck for Solo. This is really cool. I'm still waiting on my replicas because I love these dice. I love the look of them and I love the Millennium Falcon and I want to put them in my car and, and make, so that it makes me feel like I'm driving the Millennium Falcon every single time. So he uses these for luck. This is such a great, 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 great idea. Um, them being, them being a, a symbol... And sorry, I'm just going to move my bag down there. Um, the idea of these dice being such a significant symbol to um to Han that they're passed on after his death as a symbol of luck, as a symbol of love and legacy and hope, um, for the 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 remaining characters, the remaining OT characters like Luke, Leia, Chewie, and subsequently Ben, um. Is, is really interesting to me. I really love symbols. I love symbols in stories full stop. As you may know, I'm, a, I'm an illustrator. I'm a comic book writer. I'm a comic book illustrator. And I and first and foremost, I'm a storyteller. That's why I do this podcast. That's why I do all these things. So having that symbol in this story is so powerful. And then putting it in solo and giving it that significance and taking it all the way back to Corellia, where he was born and raised. 
and making it a symbol of every time he drove or flew, he had those dice on him. And not only that, there's the symbol here of... Oh, my. Excuse me. There's the symbol here of Han um, giving these to Kira as well. So it's a symbol of love, and she had them for almost 10 years. I think it, I think that's seven years. Seven years, I think it says in the movie. I can't remember. I have to rewatch Solo. Fucking love Solo, by the way. It's such a good movie. Um, but yeah, she had this for quite some time. And by the time you get to her, um, giving them back to him, they've already got significance. And then by the time you get to The Last Jedi, there is so much significance in this die that you didn't even realize they were there in the first place that you're actually looking for them in the OT. every. T- if you go back and watch, go look for those die and they're there. I think there was silver in A New Hope and then they eventually became gold by the time either you get to The Last Jedi or they're gold by Return of the Jedi, I think. Something like that. But they're, they're gold in, they're gold in um, Han Solo anyway, so it just doesn't really matter. You know, continuity, anyway. But on from that, that's that was just... I think that's just one of the best parts of Solo, those die. Um, I just spoke five minutes, almost five minutes about the die. That's hilarious. Um, Thermal detonator. During a showdown with Lady Proxima, Han threatens the imposing leader of the White Worms with a rock that he pretends is a thermal detonator. Yeah, that's when he's like, click, click. This is a thermal detonator. And she goes, well, you you just made that noise with your mouth. Um, he even makes a clicking noise with his mouth to, the arm, to arm the detonator. This is not only a great comedy beat, but it's a direct callback to Leia's threatening Jabba with a real thermal detonator. There you go. In Return of the Jedi, when she's disguised as the bounty hunter... What's the bounty hunter? Bosch. Boo. Boo. Bosch. 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 It's not Bosch. It's not Bosk. It's Bosch. Anyway. Um, the thermal... Well, that thermal detonator. Again, this is one of the first things in the movie where I kind of... And I said this in my review as well. If you haven't already watched my review... Watch my review first, then you can come and watch this because this is just a little bit of a PS add-on to my review. Suppose a slightly part two to Han Solo. Um, If you go back and watch my review, I spoke a lot about how Han Solo played a very important... How the reason why I thought Han Solo was Han Solo in this film was because or rather Alden Ehrenreich, I did not feel like I wasn't watching Han Solo because of beats like this. It was pure Han Solo, pure Indiana Jones as well, but I wasn't looking for him to play Harrison Ford. I was looking for him to play Han Solo, and he did. And it was beats like this where he pretends he's got a thermal detonator and he you know, he fakes the thermal detonator and he pretends that there's... Um, there's... Uh, what's it called pretends that he's about to blow them all up and then ends up throwing the rock and, and gets the vampire worm lady um, lady Proxima all fucked up. Um, okay, Star Destroyer being built on Corellia. This is right at the start. It's going... And the like Western music's playing. Uh, the Western slash heist music is playing. And you see this right at the start and there's a Star Destroyer. And you hear the, the screams of the TIE fighters go by and rah, rah, rah. The, um, now let's have a read of this. When Han and Kira are running across Corellia, we can see large domes being pulled through the sky. Um, if they seem familiar to you, that's because they're integral parts of the Empire's huge fleet. To be precise, they look like the shield generators from the command modules of the ever-present and terrifying Star Destroyers, which you can see being built in the sky. Okay. 
pretty cool. The Star Destroyer is being built. There's a direct connection. That means that that Corellia has Imperial... Um, what do you call it? Uh, the word was right there. Imperial... Fuck. What's the word? Um, I can't remember. I'm really sorry, guys. The words just escaped me. It was right there. Uh, what do you call it when... You know what I mean. When when someone's taken over, taken over a planet or a or a place, um, population, I suppose. Imperial, but I'll find the word later. Anyway, um, that means that Corellia has is not hidden from the Empire, which which sets up why Han needs to get off Corellia, uh, which is which is a great start to the movie. Anyway. The next one is the Imperial March's Cannon. Oh, yes, I forgot about this until the second time I watched this movie. Um, sorry, I almost flipped you guys off there. The second time I watched this movie. Um, this is a, So it says, this is a fun little nod you might have missed that has pretty interesting ramifications in the Star Wars universe. After Han loses Kira at the Imperial checkpoint on Corellia, he sees an Empire recruitment booth that's playing John Williams' iconic Imperium. Anyway, um, John John Williams' iconic Imperial March, meaning the master composer's famous music actually exists as an Imperial anthem, which means that the Empire, yes. Like I said, like I just said there, the Empire actually uses the march as some sort of propaganda music. It's the first time we've ever seen it in anything, even in Rebels, even in um, Clone Wars, in anything that they've done that's canon, they've actually used the Imperial March as music within the Star Wars universe. Not music composed for the Star Wars movie, but it's canon within the universe, so it exists as a song, as a theme song within the Star Wars universe, which is really interesting. Um, Han gets kicked out of the Academy. So it says, when Han meets Beckett and Val, he explains that he was kicked out of the Academy, which borrows directly from his legend's origin. In the old expanded universe, Han was also in the Empire, but was kicked out after fighting back when he sees the Imperial Army mistreat Wookiees, which in the old books is also how he met Chewbacca. So, yes, in in the legend, there is, in the expanded universe, Han actually saves Chewie. And that's, and, and Chewie, because the Wookiees have what they call a life debt, Chewie creates, he owes Han what is called a life debt for saving his life. Um, this is old extended universe, which is obviously no longer canon, but it's great to see that Ron Howard and Lucasfilm are committing to a, I suppose, to paying homage to what already existed within the origins of this character, of these characters, rather, the two characters, um, but changing it up a bit. Still giving it an original flair, but they're still paying homage to what already existed. You get me? Anyway. Um, but yeah, as you know, in this movie, Chewie, they do the whole, you think it's a Rancor pit 
scene and it turns out to be Chewie and then Han speaks Wookiee to him. That's kind of what happened. Um, Han was also known in the EU to be part, to have joined the Academy. Not necessarily as a pilot, but he joined the Academy regardless. Um, and, and, and Chewbacca... Uh, you'd have to check my facts. I haven't checked all my facts on this. This is just what I know from over the years of reading EU and doing my research, my extensive geeky research into the EU. Um, well, the Star Wars EU. He fought, that's it. He fought back after, um, sorry, I just got caught up reading there. Sorry for the blank space there. Um, Kicked back. He kicked back after fighting back when he was kicked out after fighting back when he was um, when he sees the Imperial Army mistreat Wookiee. So that's when he becomes an outlaw. He becomes a deserter from the Imperial um, forces. Han's blaster. Han's iconic DL44 blaster rarely leaves his side. This is the next Easter egg. Rarely leaves his side. And in Solo, a Star Wars story, we learn that he got it from Woody Harrelson's Tobias Beckett. So his mentor gave him the gun. Um, we didn't think we'd get this. No one thought we'd get the DL-44. Like the DL-44's origin was something that was so shoehorned in there, but so beautiful because everyone knows Mythos. All the biggest Han Solo and Star Wars fans know that the DL-44 is a very important, not character, but part and item and prop to Han Solo. You don't do a Han Solo... Um, cosplay or costume or drawing or model or sculpture or whatever you do fan art wise um without the dl44 so it says during the campfire scene beckett tosses a very familiar looking blaster to han and the rest is history after all in the words of han solo himself hokey religions and ancient weapons are no match for a good blaster at your side kid so there you go that the DL44, like I said in my review, if you've listened to my review, is one of the most interesting parts of this movie having an origin story, which, like, who knew? Okay, the Zan sisters. As the newly assembled crew sits around the fire after escaping the Empire's War, Val is talking about um, of her dream team for the big job they have coming up. She mentioned, mentioned the Zan sisters which is pretty exciting for fans of the expanded universe. So this is where she says, boss, uh, sorry, we should have got, we could have got Bosk or the Zam sisters. Now, I thought she said the Zam sisters. So I thought Zam Weasel might've had a sister. Zam Weasel being the changeling from Attack of the Clones that Obi-Wan and Anakin chop in half and is sent by Jango Fett to kill Padamame or Padme as she's known. Um, I thought that was the case. I thought that's who she was talking about. But let's read on because this is all fresh to me as well. She's likely talking about Zoo and Zan Pike, twin criminals for hire originally introduced in the Shadows of the Empire. Oh, I remember the Pikes. Yeah, I know who we're talking about now. The Shadows of the Empire. I have their figurine somewhere. They also had a connection to the Black Sun criminal organization run by... Darth Maul. This is a Clone Wars reference, which makes their mention even more intriguing considering the film's last act reveal. So, 
that's I'm not going to talk much on this, but I want to talk about the Black Sun and the Black Sun being from Clone Wars. There, I keep repeating myself on this, but I'm going to repeat myself. This is one of the things I love. In the early years of the Disney movies, it seemed Lucasfilm was very afraid of doing Star Wars with um, and having any connection to the prequels because they didn't really know. There was a lot of turmoil and toxicity and poison to the prequels. And when you do... When you do... I think they were a little bit hesitant because they didn't want to make um, fans upset. And especially with The Force Awakens, The Force Awakens was a very... Um, I don't want to say easy, but safe film. Um, it, the, I'm not trying to take away from it whatsoever. I am I am a fan of The Force Awakens. I'm just a Star Wars fan. I'm a fan of the prequels. I'm a fan of The Force Awakens. I'm a fan of a lot of things. Um, everything Star Wars. So that doesn't mean that I'm trying to be negative necessarily here. What I'm saying is they were trying to go more OT than they were prequels. So... There was references to, there was Yoda speaking, there was Ewan McGregor's Obi-Wan speaking in The Force Awakens. Um, however, they did avoid it. And this movie, Han Solo, is the first time they really had made any direct connection. Aside from the references to the Jedi Council in The Last Jedi... But the strongest connection of any character has been, spoilers, Darth Maul's um, reveal in the end of Han Solo and also the connection to Crimson Dawn, the Black Sun, the Pikes, all that kind of thing is all Clone Wars connections and all prequels connections because the Clone Wars exist within within the prequels. And arguably, amongst fans, is really the best um, the best version of the prequels or the best prequels stories because the Clone Wars really added a whole lot to the prequels and I think that's what George and um, Dave Filoni were out to do and I think they succeeded for sure okay next up Bosk um, the other member of Val's ideal crew is the uh, Trandoshan bounty hunter Bosk who you might remember as one of the six bounty hunters sent to catch Han in the Empire Strikes Back or if you're a Star Wars The Clone Wars fan, you'll probably know him even better. The show expanded on Bosk and showed him as an ally of a young Boba Fett and another fan favorite bounty hunter, Aura Singh. Remember that name for later. Okay. Um, like I've already spoken about this, but you know, Bosk, uh, Bosk is in Empire. He's this big lizard looking dude that's like... <laughs> when um, the Imperials walk past them and Darth Vader's talking to them and Boba Fett and all that's there. Uh, the Valahorn. For a good crook, it's always the last big job. And Tobias says, said Tobias Beckett is no different. Oh, sorry. And Tobias Beckett is no different. As Val talks about her... Uh, sorry. As Val talks about her dream team, Tobias waxes lyrically about how he'll retire to a distant planet and learn to play the Valahorn. Uh, this is a deep cut reference to a classic Star Wars video game. First introduced in the MMORPG... Star Wars Galaxies. The Valahorn is a musical instrument found on Yavin 4. Interesting. I didn't know that. I don't have very much to say about that, so we'll move on. Um, Emphis Nest and the Cloud Riders. Though they are one of the coolest looking characters, by the way, since Boba Fett. 
Though they're nothing like their comic book counterparts, Emphis Nest's gang takes their name from a group of space pirates seen in the classic Marvel Star Wars comics. Ah. In the old school sequential stories, the Cloud Riders are violent outlaws who raid and pillage local villages, which is what viewers are supposed to think of Emphis and her crew before we find out the truth. That's interesting. I didn't actually know that. I really liked Emphis Nest until she took her helmet off. But that's my personal opinion on this. I wasn't very happy. It's not that it was a girl. It was that it was a 12-year-old girl. British nonetheless. Nonetheless. And I'm not sexist by any means. It's just that the coolness of this character was kind of um, taken away from when they uh, when they took her helmet off. I don't think she needed to take her helmet off. She was mysterious enough, and that's where we should have kept it. Anyway, um, but I didn't know that the Cloud Riders were a part of the Marvel Comics, which is really cool. I didn't know they were called the Cloud Riders. That's an even cooler name. I like the Cloud Riders. And I didn't really like the character in the first place because she was villainous. So that's really cool. Um, Minoc Roast. John Favreau's Rio explain, exclaims his delight for a delicacy known as a Minoc Roast. So what exactly is that? Well, if you've seen Empire Strikes Back, you definitely know what a Minoc is. Minocs are a bat-like parasite that appeared in the Empire Strikes Back and attached themselves to the bottom of the Millennium Falcon. They're also mentioned in multiple contemporary canon Star Wars books, including... Uh, Bloodlines, Aftermath, and the Legends of Luke Skywalker. Ah, yes, the Legends of Luke when they get stuck in a they get stuck in one of the giant worms in the Legends of Luke Skywalker. That's a good book. Worth reading if you're a Luke Skywalker fan. They also regularly appeared in the now decanonized Star Wars Expanded Universe. Ah. There you go. So the Minox are quite popular. Um and I forgot that he said a Minoc race. I think he says a Minoc race on Kashyyyk or something like that. Anyway, the Wookiee. He always says the Wookiee. That's Rio, the dude with the long arms. I love that character. I think they killed him off way too quickly. Okay, uh, Aura Singh. This was a big moment for fans of the prequels and the Clone Wars as Lando thanks Beckett for killing a bounty hunter named Aura Singh as, we owed her a lot of, as he owed her a lot of money. Originally... Um, introduced in The Phantom Menace. Yes, she was. The character was expanded on in the beloved animated series, which saw her work alongside Boba, Bosk, and other bounty hunters. If, if, we're to believe, if we're to believe Tobias, who isn't exactly trustworthy, then Singh's fate is now known. So Aura Singh must be dead. That's why she's not in the OT. But I don't remember seeing her in The Phantom Menace. I do remember seeing her in The Phantom Menace uh, visual dictionaries, though. So if you're a real Star Wars fan, you probably know what I'm talking about. But... Regardless if you're a Clone Wars fan, you know who Aura Singh is, and that's kind of a cool little mention, and he's killed Aura Singh and rah, rah, rah. Um, I think we're at, to the, at the last one. Yes, we are. The last one is the Hutt Cartel. Many fans suggest, had suggested that Jabba the Hutt might make an appearance in Solo, a Star Wars story. Many fans wanted him to, I think, as well. Alas, the big slug wasn't seen, but his presence was felt. With Kira mentioning the Hutt cartel early on in the movie, as well as Tobias telling Han about a big score on Tatooine, where a notorious gangster is looking for a crew. And, of course, we all know that Tatooine's biggest gangster is Jabba himself. Now, now, like I whacked poetically in my review, we a lot of us thought that this was going to be the movie where there's one thing we didn't get in this movie that we thought we would get. We got the dice. We got the DL44. We got the Kessel Run. We got Chewie and Han's um, meeting, original meeting. We didn't get the life debt. 
we got Lando's meeting. We got the card game, the card of game of Sabak, where Han actually beat Lando. We never. I don't know if I knew it was Sabak, but maybe people, other people, other deep cut fans did. Anyway, we also got a bit of Tobias Beckett. We got Kira, and what we didn't think we would get was Darth Maul. Um, so I guess what I'm trying to say here is the one thing we didn't get was was Jabba the Hutt because you know you go to a New Hope. And Han, throughout the whole OT, owes Jabba the Hutt money. And he's being chased down by Jabba the Hutt. And you even see him say Jabba the Hutt in that fateful scene where Han is um, talking about how Han, how Jabba is a f- wonderful human being. Which makes even more sense once they put the CG Jabba the Hutt in later. Yeah, another little thing. But that's not what we're talking about right now. So... But they do say at the end of the film that Jabba the Hutt, and this is my theory, and this is a lot of people's theory, I suppose, is that Jabba the Hutt, um, or rather, there's a big job on Tatooine that Tobias Beckett was headed for, and because Han shot first and killed him, um, Tobias Beckett, someone has to do the, the Hutt job, or Han just wanted to take on the Hutt job, so he does. And I suppose that's where we're going to be by the third, by if they do another Han Solo film. Which, honestly, after this one, I want a sequel. Um, I know they don't tend to sequelize a lot of these standalones, but they've only done two. So, if by the second one they're sequelizing it, I don't mind. I don't see a problem with that. Um, I think the idea of a second Han Solo, a whole Han Solo trilogy to me is is... Brilliant. It's a, a great idea. Um, so I think to see what... I think <clears throat> if they do the Boba Fett film, I think that should be the connection. I think if they're going to really do... Really focus on this Boba Fett film or focus on the Kenobi film because as we all know, Ben Kenobi doesn't leave Tatooine for almost 20 years because um, he's watching over Luke. And <clears throat> if they're going to do Kenobi... Do some sort of connection to Boba Fett. Do the underworld. Make Han Solo, Kenobi, and Boba Fett the underworld. This underworld trilogy, the Star Wars underworld trilogy, have Kenobi connected somehow to the Jabba the Hutt, and because he's got to be doing something on Tatooine, he can't just be sitting around that whole time. He's fucking Obi Wan Kenobi. Like he's got to do something. We've got to be entertained by him somehow. So, and if they're gonna make a movie, he's got to be doing something. So. Connecting with Han Solo. Say Han Solo goes to Tatooine. I'm going to do a real quick theory here. I'm going to go to work soon, so I'm going to do a real quick theory. This is going to be a short one, but I want to really quickly wax poetically about what I want to see. So say we go to the Ben Kenobi movie next, right? Obi-Wan Kenobi hears whispers of Jabba the Hutt. He obviously knows who Jabba the Hutt is because of the Clone Wars. He hears whispers of this job going down. And he is still a Jedi. He's still a protector of the universe. And he's still out there to keep the force in balance, right? And keep the good running. Keep the good going. So, what Han does, Han goes to do this job, right? Boba Fett wants to be a part of this job. Boba Fett is the emphasis nest of the Han Solo movie. Bam. Boba Fett wants a part of it. So, somehow Han snakes it out from underneath Boba Fett. He snakes it out. That's the conflict. That's the person he's going against the whole time. Bang, 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 bang. And somehow they end up near Luke. Somehow they end up near Luke or they end up running into the Lazars. 
And Obi-Wan Kenobi comes across Han Solo and say, Han Solo, um, I don't know, maybe Chewbacca is left with with the, with the Kenobi, with the Lars's or uh, like uh, Arnie M and, sorry, no, not Arnie M, that's fucking Wizard of Oz. Um, Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru. Now, say he's left there somehow. Everyone can know he comes across him because he's trying to protect and he thinks they're a threat. Boba Fett comes along. Boba Fett gets into a into a duel with Obi-Wan Kenobi. Boba Fett doesn't like him because Obi-Wan Kenobi, because the Jedi killed his father and rah, rah, rah. And he gets into a, there's a badass laser versus blaster fight. And then for some reason, Chewbacca helps Obi-Wan Kenobi. Um, say Chewie gets stranded somewhere and Han flies off in the Falcon or something like that. I don't know. Something's going to happen like that. Um, and then what I'm going to say is going to happen is, this is just my, this is my idea of what I want to see. This is what, this is probably what I would write. Um, and I'm, this is just the first time I'm really getting this out there. Um, and then by the time we get, and then Obi-Wan Kenobi goes on with his, with his life and, and protects Luke and gets out of, gets, you know, stops the hut and I don't know, something happens like that. Something, it could be an Obi-Wan Kenobi and Han Solo movie, like for all I fucking care, that'd be fucking awesome because then they'd have a connection or it could be the Obi-Wan and Chewbacca movie. Anyway, by the time you get to A New Hope, that's how everyone knows Chewbacca. I don't genuinely believe, go back and watch A New Hope, I watched it recently, go back and watch A New Hope and in the cantina, I don't actually believe that Obi-Wan Kenobi hadn't met Chewbacca before. It seems like they have some sort of connection. And because it seems like that, you could do this film like that and it would come around and do full circle and you'd be okay. And for some reason, Obi-Wan Kenobi has to look after Chewbacca or he has some sort of relationship to him. And by the time, uh, you know, they're on Mos Eisley, I don't think they leave Tatooine or they come back to Tatooine for something or by the end of the movie, that's why they're still on Tatooine and they're in Mos Eisley in the cantina in the, in the most wretched hive of scum and villainy. Anyways, that's my theory. That's what I was going to talk about. Thank you guys. It's just been a short little one before I got to go to work. I feel like, I felt like I've been trying to do this. I've been wanting to do this Easter egg thing for for a while and I think I'll do Easter eggs for a lot more movies as well I might come back and do Last Jedi Easter eggs I might come back and do Infinity War Easter eggs I think I'm going to because you know what this was a lot of fun these are great little short episodes this has only been a short one for a reason short little half an hour nice and digestible you can listen to this on your on your way to work watch this on your way to work um, so yeah guys thank you again so much for watching have a fucking awesome day have a great week it's a beautiful day out here um, stay weird, everybody, of course, as always, and may the force be with you, always. Hey guys, so just really quickly, this week's song of the week is Star Wars themed. Um, I met this girl, Sydney Simpson. Uh, a few years back, I saw her perform at a talent contest in Castle Hill, um, out where I used to live, and this song captured my heart, and I completely forgot about it until just now, and then I YouTubed her, and she's actually recorded a video for it, and it's doing quite well. I'm actually surprised it hasn't gone viral, because this song is so fantastic, 
and beautiful and loving and it, it represents everything I feel for my partner but also for Star Wars. It's called I Love You More Than Star Wars. This is the song of the week or rather the song of the episode um, by Sydney Simpson. It's called I Love You More Than Star Wars. Please enjoy the video. Please enjoy the song if you're listening to this in audio. And if you're listening to it in audio, please go and watch the video because the video is a lot of fun as well. All right, guys. Stay weird. So lonely I couldn't feel the force inside My heart was on the outer rim To attract a beam it drew me in I'll be your Leia If you'll be my Han Solo And darling don't you know Looking for. Ooh, I love you more than Star Wars. 